I'm Jonathan Platt, and you're listening to Direct Line Conversations, the podcast. Nobody makes it to the top alone. Now, you don't even have to try. Your journey to a life filled with purpose and leadership fueled by confidence begins right now. My guest this week is 2021 Hall of Fame Herbert Reynolds Retired Faculty Honoree. That's right. It's the amazing. It's the famous. It is the one and only Dr. Maxine Hart. Dr. Hart joined the Handcammer School of Business Faculty as an assistant professor in 1971, and she retired in 1999 as Professor Emeritus of Information Systems. She taught business education, business communication, and office systems courses. A 1956 graduate of Baylor, she spent her life celebrating and bettering the lives of tremendous members of the Baylor family. Thanks for joining me to hear Dr. Hart's story and celebrate her together as the Baylor family. Here's my interview with Dr. Maxine Hart. Dr. Hart, it is so great to be with you. How are you? I'm doing well today, and it's nice to finally meet you. Yes, ma'am. I'm very excited for for this interview. I have gotten to uh, exchange some emails with you and hear some stories from others that either had you um, uh, when they were students or worked with you uh, when you were still at Baylor. Um, So I feel like I know you uh, a little bit, but I'm wondering if you could introduce yourself to our audience and our members and those who will be Uh, attending and watching this interview. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, your personal life, your professional life, um, and and what it's meant to be a part of the Baylor family for so very long. Yes, I've been a part of the Baylor family since I was a freshman in 1953. And uh, I, I met Clyde Hart my freshman year. He was a sophomore. And so we got married after we graduated. I finished in three years because I didn't want him to get away. (laughs) And we were BBA majors. And so we decided to work in the business world for a while and then start our own business. So after we graduated, we worked for Pan American Oil Company. But after a year, Claude came home one day and he said, I'd rather be a coach. i I should have studied to be a coach. And I said, well, you know, I always told my Baylor students based on this, you don't know what you're going to be doing. But the important thing is you get this degree. And if you decide you need more education, you just add on to it. But at least you've got your degree because you really don't know. So I didn't know and he didn't know. But anyway, he got the job at Little Rock Central. We both had temporary teaching certificates. I taught at North Little Rock. That was my first teaching position. And he coached at Central for six years. And we, while we were there, we took classes to get our certification and got a master's from the University of Arkansas. And we moved to Waco in 1963. And I taught high school and MCC but in 1971, Dr. Uh, Dean Hinkey called me and asked me if I'd like to teach in the office administration department in the business school. And so I, I taught for 29 years in, uh, in the business school. And 
We have two sons and three grandchildren, and the two boys already have Baylor degrees, and my granddaughter's a senior, Kennedy Hart, at Baylor. She'll graduate and go, she's going to nursing school, Baylor nursing, in the starting this summer. So saying y'all bleed green and gold is an understatement. Oh, listen, I have lots of people and that are, that are Baylor graduates, sisters and in-laws and cousins and what have you. So, so back in 1952 and 1953, when you were trying to figure out where you wanted to go to college um, and you were a, a high school student at Gladewater High School, uh, what thoughts were going through your head that pushed you towards choosing to go to Baylor? Did you consider any other schools? No, because, well, my sister came to Baylor. She was six years ahead of me. But from the time I could remember, my mother would say to us, you better do well in school because when you graduate, you're going to Baylor. (laughs) And so it was just what we were going to do. I know kids sometimes refuse to go where their parents want them to go. But uh, my parents did not have an opportunity to go to college And mother was determined, and daddy backed her up, but she was the guiding force that we were going to Baylor. There were four of us, and uh, I was the second one. And so that's how I got to Baylor. And I never I'm sorry, go ahead. Never regretted it. I believe it. Where where do you think that that tenacity uh, from your mother came from to go to Baylor? Did she have parents or relatives that had gone? My mother came from a very, very poor family, and my father, too. He was from Marlin, and she was from Thorndale, which is close by. Yes, ma'am. My my dad's family were really strict Baptist. Mother was a Methodist, but she joined the Baptist church. But she just always wanted to go to Baylor herself, you know, and she wanted us to go to a, a Baptist school, and my sister told mother one day she said you know I think I might like to go to UT and she said well if you do you're paying for it yourself (laughs) so my sister came to Baylor and married a basketball athlete who's in the hall of fame Baylor hall of fame that you uh the alumni hall of fame and so we just have a lot of history we we all did well by coming to Baylor yes ma'am and so over your years at Baylor, um, you probably interacted with the, the best of the best. Um, whether your time as a student or your time um, on faculty, who have been your greatest role models, inspirations, and, and in your early days, your mentors at Baylor? Well, at Baylor, of course, being a business major, I had uh, several professors that were um, very helpful to me and encouraging. And Dean Hinckley was one of them because I never thought about going to Baylor. I mean, teaching at Baylor. I was teaching at MCC and I enjoyed it. And being invited to do that, I felt good about that. He was always a mentor for me. And then Helen Ligon, who, who passed away, but she was in my department and she was a lovely lady. And, uh, she, she was an inspiration to me. And, you know, she was still teaching when she died. I, I retired right before I was 65, but she, I think she was seven, late 70s, but she died suddenly. But she was a wonderful 
example. In fact, I probably went off to get my doctorate because of Helen. Because when I came to Baylor, there were there were no women doctorates to speak of. Baylor didn't hunt for women doctorates. They hired women lecturers. And so Helen went off and got her degree from A&M. And I think she was probably the first one and first female in the business school that had a doctorate. And then that encouraged me. So I I got mine too. And did you go to A&M for your doctorate as well? No, no, no. And I didn't go to UT. I I got a degree in business education because that was one of the fields I was teaching in. And I could get it at UT or Houston. And I was accepted at both. But I chose Houston because for two reasons. (laughs) UT fans were always so rude to us when I was a student that I just got to dislike them, you know. And then they said, well, yes, you're welcome to come. We'd be glad to have you. I said, well, how many hours? So, so We don't count that. We just, when you're ready, we'll tell you you've learned enough. And I thought, gee, I don't want to do that. I want to know how much I have to accomplish. So I went to to the University of Houston. Okay. And did you, uh, did you move to Houston for that season or did you drive back and forth? Well, I went... Uh, they allowed me to take a few graduate courses at Baylor, which was also in my favor. But uh, I went down during the summers, and then I had to go for two semesters at the end, too, uh, because of residency requirements. So, and my sister and her husband lived down there, but I lived in the dorm, and then I lived with them, and I would come back and forth. I understand. You were at Baylor for some of the the most pivotal periods um, and and interact with some of the the most pivotal people that have ever led or worked with uh, the university. Um, in all of that time, uh, what do you consider the, the neatest, the coolest, the most memorable interaction that, that you had at Baylor? Well, Dr. Reynolds was a good friend, and uh, I really have suffered since he died because he was such an influence on Clyde and me. Of course, Abner was too, but more so on Clyde than me. But uh, Dr. Reynolds, you could talk to him about anything. And he was a very good mentor. Well, he was Clyde's Sunday school teacher. They were they were friends as well as he was the president of Baylor. And I would have to say that he could say some really funny things. You might not know it, but Dr. Reynolds was a wonderful man and so is Joy, his wife. She's she's still alive. But I would say he, and then, you know, there were a lot of professors in the business school that it meant a lot to me. Uh, Dr. Rickenstein, Bill Rickenstein, he was in the finance department and he retired recently, but he was always so kind to me and he mentors me still on investments because, you know, Baylor, you had to manage your own Baylor in retirement funds. And uh, he's a wonderful man and so helpful. Yes. So what does it mean then for uh, Dr. Reynolds to have been such an important mentor to you? What does it mean to receive an award in his namesake this year? Well, it's it's just wonderful because um, I served on the committee uh, for several years. It selected this honor for, um, and let's see, it was the Herbert H. Reynolds Award, but it wasn't the retired professor. It okay. was just, it was regular one. 
and I served on that committee. And so I, I was with him and the other committees quite a lot. And I learned a lot about how, really, how nice it is to be honored by any award that has his name on it. Yes, yes. This, the thing that I've noticed uh, about this class is just the unifying humility that, that all of you have um, and just the, uh, the unimaginable level of success that you have created for yourself and, and imparted to so many uh, others. The, the question that I always like to ask is, um, what was the, the greatest challenge in, in your success uh, at Baylor, in your professional career, uh, and in life? What has been your greatest challenge in, the, in gaining this success? You know, I had a lot of good luck along the way, and uh, at least I call it that. I think to be successful, you have to take advantage of opportunities, and when the opportunity comes along, it might be scary, but you've got to take it and do your best to be successful at it. And so I think that um, being invited to come and teach at Baylor, where there were so many outstanding professors, and I didn't have a doctorate at that point. I just had the master's degree. I had quite a lot of experience teaching and knowing teaching methods and things that that goes over well with students. But I did not have the doctorate. And, you know, at the university level, you don't get promoted upward unless you have the doctorate. So that's what encouraged me to do that. And Helen Ligon, she did too. She encouraged me to do that. And one year I was chosen um, as one of the outstanding professors. I think there were six, but only three that were in in uh, situations like I was, because there was music and research and everything else. But Helen Ligon was the one that nominated me for that. And you have to have somebody to nominate you to get an award. You know that. And she was so influential that uh, it shocked me that I ever got that award. But it's one uh, one accomplishment that I've really been proud of. But I felt like I had a lot of help in that. And now I've kind of forgotten what your original question was. Oh, it's okay. I think you answered it perfectly and kind of set me up for for my next question. Uh, I was asking about what the the greatest challenge uh, in your your success has been. Um, And my next question was going to be, what advice do you have for students at Baylor right now who have high aspirations and high visions and want to um, affect as many lives as you have? and change the world in such positive ways. What advice do you have for them as they head off into their careers to to certainly face similar challenges as you have? First of all, I would say what I just said, take advantage of every opportunity. And the second thing is be educated. And, And I know that Baylor students are educated, but it's not just the book learning. You learn a lot of other things at Baylor. And a lot of it you learn from your professors. They've set an example for you on how to achieve, about how you, in the business world, of course, I know things have changed since I retired 21 years ago. But even so, I think if you're going to advance in the business world, you have to have good people skills. 
And I've always stressed that you have to be tactful and you have to be able to deal with people in a pleasant manner. All of that goes along with your traditional education that you get at the universities. And so I would just always tell them to do your best, do what it takes. And I know when I decided to get a doctorate, I had two children in Clyde and he was very helpful. He never typed up a thing for me, but he never complained and he did what he had to do. And that was a very challenging situation because I still, for a lot of that, I was still teaching at Baylor, except in the summers. And uh, so I had a lot on my plate and you, you know, you want to do well in your academics when you're a professor, you don't want to <laughs> make bad grades yourself. So it, that was a major challenge, but I took it and I could have, I could have avoided all of that and just gone right along. I was an assistant professor. I could have just stayed there, but I wanted to challenge that and do more. And of course, I did learn more from those additional courses I took. What would you say to, um, to young women who, like you, want to challenge the norms and, and make a difference um, in their environments? Today, I think it's a little bit easier for women to do that because, as I said, Baylor really wasn't hiring women with doctorates. And, uh, but they changed that. I told Richard Scott, I said, why aren't you hiring anybody? He said, well, I can't find them. And I said, well, Richard, I'll help you find them. Well, and, and we got some. And he came down later uh, after they'd been there about a year. And he told me he was so glad because he said, those women have made a difference. He said, I mean, they come in ready to go and, and accomplish things. And I think that's what young women have to do. They have to do their best because even today, I think women are at somewhat of a disadvantage uh, salary-wise and otherwise, but I think that businesses and universities are, well, like we have our presidents female now. I mean, I wouldn't have thought of that a couple of decades ago, that the board would choose a woman, and apparently she's doing a great job, you know? Of course, I knew her because she taught in the business school, oh, and really? I've, always, I've always known, yes, she, she was in the business school, and then I think she was assistant dean in the business school before she left. But yes. yes, I knew who she was and knew of her. And uh, so she sets a great example. And and so the young women, I would just say, go for it, whatever education or, but I know we also have a lot of other responsibilities as women, families and so forth. So, you know, it's it's a challenge. That is the challenge, having a career and having a family, but you can do it. Well, the legacy that you leave behind is such an inspiration to, to the women coming up and even to the men. I, I mean, you're, you're consistently um, a name that's brought up in conversations um, with others uh, with, when I'm doing interviews and things like that. Um, a, a name that always comes up is Dr. Maxine Hart as somebody who, who led in the face of, of challenge and change. And over that period of time, um, your entire uh, uh, awareness of Baylor what do you see as your favorite change that the university has made? The favorite change? Well, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that so much. I, you know, Baylor has grown a lot and it has become a more integrated 
University. And it, I think the fact that there are, there's aid for students. You know, when I came to Baylor, there was no aid, no scholarships, unless you were an athlete, Clyde had one. But my parents just borrowed money from the bank and paid it back. They footed every bit of our bills themselves. And today, parents don't really have to do that if they, uh, if the students qualify for help. And I think Baylor has a lot of help for students, which enable them to afford Baylor, because otherwise they wouldn't be able to afford it. And Baylor is a different environment than uh, a state school. There's no way around that. It's a different environment. And I, I'm glad that we have uh, tried really hard at Baylor to maintain that atmosphere, Christian atmosphere. But it's it's all you're always being challenged by outside forces. But I I I don't know what changed particularly. I you know athletics has taken a a big leap, and as an academic, sometimes I think it goes too far. <laughs> but you know. I know that athletics can represent the university, but actually we're here for academic reasons, you know. So, uh, but I, I I love sports and I haven't gotten to go to any this year, but I've watched everything I could. I do love bigger sports. Yeah. All yeah. of them. I I agree. I, I miss, I miss being at football games big time. Yeah, and basketball and, games and yeah. yeah. The other thing is uh, all of the new facilities we have, that would be probably one of the most important changes because you have to have the right facilities and the right equipment, machines, et cetera. And at least in the business school, and I'm sure in the science labs, a lot in music, you know, it's just Baylor has committed itself. It's a beautiful campus. Beautiful. I was, I was walking uh, near Old Main uh, my freshman year, and Grant Taft was also over there walking around, and he stopped me, and he said, hello, young man, you know, and just kind of, you could tell he was off on a walk, not really going anywhere, and he just wanted to to meet students, and he gestured up at, at the old campus, uh, and, and he said, uh, at one point in time, this was all that was here for Baylor, and, and he said, when I was here, I would have never imagined Baylor could have become uh, what it is today. And and he said, I know every generation believes this, but I think this is the best that Baylor has been so far. And, and it's well, so fun to, to learn those memories and also so fun to, to continue uh, that success that, that all of you have left behind for us. Well, you know, 1953, the war had only been over a few years and they had barracks and things because it had been a hard time for everybody, but there was no business school. We had classes in the, uh, in Main and in the union building, just scattered all over the campus. We had classes because there was no building for it. Of course, by the time we came back in 63, we had hand camera. So Baylor, I would say, you know, building all of these beautiful facilities and providing funds for students to come to Baylor. Those are the two big changes I appreciate. Okay, I've got some some rapid fire questions that are a little more fun and can kind of round us out as we understand who Dr. Maxine Hart is. Would you like to answer some rapid fire questions? Just try. 
<laughs> okay, we're going to try not to think of an answer. We're just going to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Oh. So, okay, so the first question um, is when pressure is building, when you feel stress or anxiety, um, and you know that you need to act uh, swiftly, safely, and, and you know, headstrong, what is that first thing that you remind yourself of? What's that first action that you take to kind of feel regrounded and center yourself and kind of establish a better peace of mind? Well, you know, that's a good question. In the world we live in today, there's a lot of things that make you stressful. Uh, and you're always worried about wars and things of that sort. And I, I probably am not a good example of what to do. But I just kind of seclude myself away from it for a little while, calm down, and then think it through. But mainly, I want to go hide. (laughs) (laughs) Do not want to face it, but it doesn't take me very long. I just have to calm down, and that's what I do. And then I face it. Because otherwise, I don't think I do a very good job of of answering whatever the stressful question is, you know. I understand. So my, my, my second question, rapid fire question is what's something that people might get wrong about you? Well, I don't know. I, I've never thought about that. I know some people, uh, you know, that uh, might look at Baylor professors in general or any, anybody that's highly educated as being privileged, you know, and most of us, I'm, I'm telling you, my parents came from very poor circumstances and they just advanced themselves because they were hard workers and they wanted us to have an easier time of it. So I have never felt like I was an elite person or I was special. My mother would always say, if I made a good grade, well, don't, just remember, no matter how smart you are, there's people smarter. And that's the way she was. Or if someone said, I look nice, she would say, there's always people who are prettier. And, and that's, that was me. But I don't know if everybody knows that. But that, yeah. I, that is me. Yeah. So this one's uh, not related. Uh, and it's not as deep. Uh, are you and Clyde watching any good TV shows right now? Do you guys like to turn on something in the evenings? Well, if Baylor sports are playing, we we watch that. But honestly, Clyde and I don't watch a whole lot of TV together. He has one in here, and I have mine in the bedroom because he wants to watch um, the pawn shop to see what they're pawning off. (laughs) Or he wants to watch Discovery where they're climbing a mountain. And that doesn't interest me. So what do you watch? Well, I don't watch a lot of TV. Uh, I read books, but as far as watching anything, I, I don't really have a favorite program, but I just got a fish stick, a fish stick, a fire stick. Yes. You know what a fire stick is. And I have access to a lot of shows. Uh, Clyde told me House of Cards. He had watched it all the way through, but I want to start watching The Crown. I enjoy those kind of things on PBS and so forth. Yes. I, I don't have a favorite program right now I would have years ago but now I don't I cannot recommend the crown enough it is one of my favorite shows and it is so so well done and it feels watching it feels authentic 
you know, yes. they, they spent a lot of money on that set. Well, and I enjoy things about England. That's where my ancestors came from. And Clyde and I have been there a number of times. And uh, no matter how many times you go, there's more to see. But anyway, I like things that give some English history. Yes. That's where my ancestors came from. Uh, I think it was, I'm pretty sure, Martha Lou Scott told me she had just finished Downton Abbey and had just finished The Crown as well. So she's... I'm going to watch Downton Abbey too. Yes. So so you mentioned that you're a reader, and that was actually my next question. What what books are on your nightstand right now or wherever you read? I read a lot of Tom Clancy. I like all of that kind of thing. And uh, Baldacy and... Um, uh, oh, what are some of those authors' names? You get the drift. I like the yes, international ma'am. intrigue and all of that. And I, I, if you looked at my book bookshelf, I've got a lot of bookshelves here. Uh, I enjoy reading it because when I taught at Baylor, I didn't get to read much. I had to read journals and I had to grade papers because when you teach a writing class, papers are always waiting on you to be graded. So when I retired, I just started reading whatever I wanted to. And so those are some of my favorite authors. Yeah. So if, if you and Clyde could be anywhere right now, you mentioned England, if you could be anywhere right now, if COVID was no longer here with us and money was no object, where would you guys go? Well, you know, Clyde and I have been very fortunate. We have traveled all over the world. I keep a list of our trips and it's, uh, and that was even before he started coaching Olympians, because when then when he did that, we were gone to Olympics and World Championships and etc. But we've taken a lot of trips on our own. We've taken a lot of cruises, and we were talking yesterday that if this ever gets over, we have two cruises we want to take in the United States. We've taken a lot in Europe and China and so forth. But uh, I want to do the East Coast from St. Augustine on the way up, you know. I I would love to do that. He wants to do the one that Lewis and Clark took. It's a cruise that takes you all the way. I think it starts in Portland and so forth. And so those are our goals. And he said, well, I said, well, I'd also like to do the Mississippi. He said, oh, it's too hot. And I said, we wouldn't go in the summer. But anyway, that's what we're planning to do is we're not flying over the ocean again. The last time we went was China. We were in Wuhan a year oh before a year before this thing started. But uh, that trip just about killed me. 15 hours or more flying one way and back. And when you get older, it's hard. So I told him I'm not flying over the ocean again. But we are going to do more of the United States if we can. I, I love it. I hope it's soon, too. I can't wait to get out and, and go places and see people. I and wish I, we were doing this in person. Yeah, I wish young people would travel. We started in 1972, our first trip to Europe. Never been there. And once you go, you just get hooked on it. So rather than having a, a fancier house or whatever, we traveled, you know, and we loved it. And, you know, I have heard people say, that your trips are the best investment because you relive them over and over and you see movies that are filmed in Rome and you, you wreck, you know, it's just, and not only that, you learn a lot. You learn a lot of history by traveling. I have, I have some friends uh, who they've been married for 
probably a couple of decades. And that's what they agreed years ago is they wouldn't buy each other presents anymore. They would yeah. buy experiences because a gift, you know, you have it until it breaks or you forget about it or it, you know, gets put in a closet, but a trip you have for the rest of your life. That's true. We enjoy it so much. Just looking at some of the photos and so forth. Yeah. You learn a lot. You really yeah. do. It's so uh, speaking of learning, um, and as an East Texas woman, I'm sure you'll be able to, to have some input on this question. What is some advice that someone gave you or you gleaned from someone that you've never forgotten? Could be from your childhood or from your professional career? Well, I have a lot of memories of things my mother taught me. I, I mentioned one while ago that uh, she, she, she never liked egotistical people. And she never wanted us to be. And I think that is a very good bit of advice. But she also encouraged us on education. And no matter how much we got, she wanted us to get more, excuse me, <clears throat> to get more if we could. And um, so I, I would have to say that my mother gave me the best advice that I remember of anyone. But of course, I've had pastors that give me good advice too. Excuse me a minute. You're good. Oh, I like your cup. I saw the edge of it. Oh yeah. This I take this around all day long with water in it. Yep. Um, so, okay. So uh, another question that's not deep or, or really related, but what is your favorite meal? If you could eat anything right now, what would that be? Well, we love going to, um, the Longhorn Steakhouse and having a filet. <laughs> but I also love Mexican food. I, I can only go so long without Mexican food. I mean, Tex-Mex. I've been I to Mexico several times and I don't really much care for their food, but I like Tex-Mex. And of course, there are, I'm not a cook. I've never liked it. I like to eat. But, uh, so I, I never grew up with anything that was really fancy, but I enjoyed food in Italy and France. Those were, you know, yeah. really good foods that I, I'm not capable of cooking. But yeah, I would say a steak dinner, baked potato. Ow. Getting hungry. <laughs> and so my last question before we wrap up is, what are you uh, most deeply grateful for right now? Well... You know, as your age is, as your age changes, you have different things that you're thankful for. And right now, I just thank God every day that I've made it through another day. I don't have good balance anymore, and I've fallen. And um, I did faint in my kitchen one time, and it ended up in brain surgery. And so, I thank God every day for the blessing of being able to walk and not fall. <laughs> now that wouldn't be anything you would be thinking about, but we think, you know, we're thankful for health because a lot of people our age are not here anymore. And we're thankful for our friends and our church, First Baptist, and our Baylor friends. And so we have a lot to be thankful for and our, our children and thankful that my son was able to send his three kids to Baylor and, you know, because a lot of that, I have friends that went to Baylor with me that their grandchildren didn't get to come because they, they couldn't afford it. So I count that as a major blessing that they got to come to Baylor. Yes. 
Well, Dr. Maxine Hart, I'm so thankful for you and that you gave us some of your time today uh, to have this interview and to let the Baylor family learn just a little bit more about you. Thank you so much. I'm Jonathan Platt, and you've been listening to Direct Line Conversations, the podcast, brought to you by Baylor Line Foundation. You can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And if you haven't, hop on over to wherever you're listening to this and follow, leave a rating, and a review. It really does help. Join me next week for another Direct Line Conversation. Thanks for listening.